Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Joining me once again is Dwayne McFarlane. We're going to continue with our projection series, finishing up the NFC East with Philadelphia and Washington. Dwayne, uh, you know, where do you want to start here with these two teams? They've certainly been in the news a fair bit, but we're probably going to just focus strictly on their projections and on their, uh, on their, you know, what we think their outputs are going to be. Yeah, let's let's start. Uh, if you don't mind, let's start with the Eagles. Okay. Sounds good to me. So, I mean, I guess, you know, when you think about Philadelphia at this stage, um, you know, Carson Wentz, what, he played a full season last year? Or, like, close to it? Close, close to it. Yeah, 14 yeah, games, I think, you know? That's pretty darn mm-hmm. good for, for Carson Wentz. Um, <laughs> terrific quarterback, just a little bit reckless and, and wanting to play at that razor's edge, and he gets sometimes he gets nicked when that happens. Um, so, you know, he had a fantastic season last year. You got Miles Sanders, who started off kind of rough um, because he he was better off in a gap scheme, and and we saw that Miles Sanders did pretty darn well down the stretch in that gap scheme. But another player did pretty darn well down the stretch in that in that scheme, and also played a little bit more in the red zone than you would have expected. Is the diminutive um, Boston Scott? So you know we might talk a little bit about that Eagles backfield with some of their additions and what goes on there. Then we have this receiving core. I mean, they just added Jalen Rager, a, a speedster. Um, they added, you know, um, Hightower, who's kind of a Paul Richardson clone in terms of, um, you know, dimensions and what he does well on the field. And, and we've got this great two tight end set with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Um, so, you know, this is an offense that seems low to bear and, and it's a fairly exciting group. It's just a matter of, you know, can this offensive line stay healthy? It's one of the better offensive units, one of the better offensive line units. And if that can stay healthy, then maybe Carson Wentz can stay healthy. Um, And this team has the potential to be a playoff contender if it can get its defense on track. But for fantasy, you know, we've got a lot of players here, um, you know, old and young. This is a, a good combination of like veteran talent and youth on the rise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I look at the Eagles and, and just kind of, you know, I always like to take that step back and look at, you know, the, you know, the roster construction and the different moves, you know, that they've been making. And when I look at them, you know, I look at the last few years and, you know, they've, they've really not had a vertical element, you know, to their game as far as, you know, someone that can really stretch the field. You know, Deshaun Jackson got out there and did a good job of that in week one last year and then had the, you know, abdominal, you know, core strain and just was never able to get back on the field. But you saw a little bit of what, you know, the offense can do whenever they can stretch things vertically as well as horizontally. Um, And I think that creates a lot of room, you know, for Zach Ertz. It creates more room for Dallas Goddard. It creates more room because a lot of times what happens if you get the man single coverage looks, you know, they'll go deep. And then if it's zone, and you can still stretch, you know, the vertical boundary deep with with some of the speed receivers. That opens things up underneath, right? For your running, for your running backs, for your tight ends, um, you know, for some of your uh, receivers that may be running more of the shallow crossing routes, that kind of stuff. So, when I look at the Eagles and what they did, you know, this year, um, you know, they drafted, like you said, um, Jalen Rager, who brings some speed. Um, they drafted uh, Hightower, who brings some speed. They brought Marquise Goodwin over, who brings some speed. Um, so I, when I look at it, it's almost like they're trying to say, you know what, we're going to have enough of these guys that we're not going to be in a situation where if the only one we have gets hurt, like the whole offense has to suffer. 
I think strategically, that's what we're seeing. You know, when, when we look at the moves that the Eagles made. Um, now they are going to have some challenges on the offensive line. You know, you, you lose Jason Peters, uh, who is a great tackle. Uh, now you have uh, Brandon Brooks go down in the preseason. That's a tough blow. Um, you know, they're still graded as you know uh, at least a middle of the pack offensive line. You know, um, even with those injuries, but that's something to definitely keep an eye on. You know, if we look at the draft. That was definitely an eye-opener, uh, you know, whenever they took Jalen Hurts. And I think a lot of that ties back to some of the conversations we've had, Matt, around, you know, just the fact that Carson Wentz does get hurt so much, right? And so they feel that they wanted to bring in a guy, um, you know, a lot of people think is de- developmental. You know, you can talk more about, you know, Hurts, you know, as we move forward. But I think, you know, part of it is they just know they have to have somebody behind, you know, Carson Wentz, and they're willing to invest in that. Um, you did have some other guys move on that are opening up spots for other guys. You got Jordan Howard gone. You got Nelson Aguilar gone. Um, lost some some players on the defensive side of the ball, including Ronald Darby as well. Um, so it's an offense that's going to look very different. You know, last year they averaged 1.9 margin of victory, so almost two points a game um, that they that they won by. Um, the Eagles are a team that pretty much every year are going to run 1,000 to 1,100 plays. Um, they're always in the top, so they run a pretty good pace. Um, over the past several years, they've been, you know, more pass, you know, oriented 58, 54, 60, 57 percent pass. Um, and even when leading, they'll pass more than normal. So Doug Peterson, you know, likes to, to pass even in some unconventional times as well. So I'm I think the Eagles, you know, um, overall roster construction, like I, I still have questions, but I, I see where they're definitely trying to spend, you know, some of their capital. Right. I think two things that have plagued them the last two years, quarterback injuries and not having a vertical threat. They threw, you know, quite a bit at that, not necessarily a ton of money, but they threw assets at both of those spots. Um, You know, as far as Carson Wentz goes, um, you know, he's the guy that last year, um, you know, his touchdowns per attempt have dropped over the last three seasons. So he's gone from 7.5% to 5.2 to 4.4. You know, his accuracy, at least from a measurement, you know, standpoint, you know, has been okay. Um, you know, he stays, you know, just if, if you're talking about the statistical numbers, you know, he's been right around the 64, 65%, you know, marks. But if you start to break it down further and you look at his accuracy, and so, you know, some of the things you talk about, Matt, like pinpoint versus general accuracy, um, you know, last year his accuracy plus, which for pro football focus, which I now have access to all this cool data, is really what you call pinpoint. And he was 29th of 35. Um, and then in just general accuracy, which means the ball is still at least within, the frame of the player it may not necessarily have to lead them but if say if a receiver's running a crossing route it still at least hits them in the numbers right um so if it's within the frame of the player um he ranks he ranks 25 of 35 and as far as the number the percentage of balls that were caught that were actually inaccurate but his receivers still caught them he was 24th of 35 so and then out of uncatchable balls he was 20th out of 35 so he, he, on average, is 2% worse than the league average as far as keeping the ball either pinpoint or general accuracy versus the rest of the NFL. Um, he also was behind the rest of – and it's funny, Matt, because I think last year I came into the show talking about once accuracy, and then you educated me. And now I have access to all this cool data, and I'm seeing everything you already told me. So <laughs> behind the- but but you've been charting it for 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 years, right? I mean, you've been charting this kind of stuff, and so now, like, I'm able to see it. But behind the line of scrimmage, he was minus nine point one versus the league average. Uh, in the zero to nine yard range, he was right at the league average. At the ten to nineteen yard, he was right at the league average, and then at the twenty yard um, mark, he was right at the league average. The year before, though, um, he was lower 
the, when he went further down the field. So, you know, when you start talking about small sample sizes by cutting everybody's attempts down into each one of these buckets, it's not necessarily something that's sticky from year to year. But um, where I was going with it is, yeah, so while he had a, a completion percentage that's typically in the 64, 65% range, um, he's not necessarily maximizing, you know, his passing attempts. Yeah, he's not Drew Brees, you know, and that's like, you know, if, if he were maximizing his attempts, he'd probably be, what, closer to 70 at the at the rate that he would be at um, in terms of probably being able to, to deliver. And, and, you know, for those of you who weren't aware is what Dwayne was referring to is if you're new to this show, um, I've often been accused of being a Carson Wentz hater basically because um, what I've stated is that he's a very good, he's a good quarterback, but when you talk about accuracy with him, they had to make this offense work around him and his flaws as opposed to him coming in and being what you think of as a quintessential franchise quarterback. You know, I mean, you, this is a guy that after his first year, it was pretty clear to the Eagles that he had accuracy issues, that his footwork wasn't good. It was never going to get um, that much better where they could run a, a five-step and seven-step drop plan with him on a consistent basis and expect him to get the ball out with pinpoint accuracy and rhythm. Um, or if there was pressure and asking him to move around, he was going to move around much more like a schoolyard quarterback and scramble and, and try and find somebody behind the secondary as opposed to be able to continue to make those throws um, in rhythm after making a, a man miss because his feet get all screwed up and he can't seem to get his feet in a position to where he's going to maximize his accuracy. So they decided to go to the offense that you see now. But what happens is the average fan, they kind of conflate this and they think Carson Wentz is a franchise caliber talent. And he is if you fit the scheme to him. But if you don't fit the scheme to him as much as he needs it fit, then you're looking at a guy who has real trouble throwing the ball accurately beyond 30 to 35 yards um, and a guy who has real difficulty and is just below average in terms of getting the ball out. So if you can get him, let him get the ball out quickly to wide open guys, um, you know, with these quick hitting types of plays or let him buy time until he can just throw the ball behind somebody and the receiver can just like play outfielder and catch the ball. And I'm generalizing. There are certainly good plays you know, with him doing some of the things I said that he doesn't do well. But more often than not, he has flaws in that area, and they've worked to correct that. So kudos to the Eagles for making the most out of Carson Wentz because Wentz is a, you know, he's a he's a playmaker. He's tough. He's someone that is creative. Um, there's a lot of things that he does well. He could just do a lot better, and then there are some things that he could do that he just can't get better at, I don't think. So... You know, when we look at Carson Wentz right now, I think I, I, it's hard for me to project to him, project him finishing 16 games. Because when you watch him, he does try to, to bleed every second all out of a play. He'll stand in there and take the hit. And he's brave. And Eagles fans love that about him. And he's tough. And they love that about him. But when you, yeah. when you plant your feet and your feet aren't in a position where if you take a hit that you're going to, be in a stable position and it's going to put stress on your knees and ankles and shins, um, that can be a problem. Um, when you're someone that is willing to throw into a hit and and take hits to your throwing arm or not fall in a, in a safe way, and falling is an art form or a craft for quarterbacks. Um, Mark Schofield and I have talked about that with um, 
with the the kid out of Clemson, um, Trevor Lawrence, that Trevor he Lawrence, doesn't know yeah. how to fall correctly at some points. So, you know, Wentz is that kind of guy. And so until he proves he can play a full 16-game season for a couple seasons in a row, I'm going to continue to project him at somewhere between 12 and 14 games. Right now, I'm being optimistic and giving him 14 games. I have I have last year he did he did play 16 last year but what we were both thinking of is the playoff game where he got hurt and Josh McCown had to come in and basically play the game right so there you go yeah so so I'm looking at a guy who again you know he's had one year of 16 game you know he had 16 game season last year but I'm still projecting 14 I would have projected less if he hadn't had you know a full season and with the Eagles, you said, you know, 1,000 to 1,100 plays. I haven't projected total at 1,047 plays. I have them throwing 58% of the time because I just don't trust this defense um, as, as part of that equation. And they like to do the quick hitting, throwing, and the, everything you talked yep. about with Doug Peterson so well. So I have 531 attempts for Carson Wentz, um, 341 completions at a 64% completion percentage. 3,805 yards at 7.17 yards per attempt. Um, I have him um, earning 24 touchdowns, which is 4.5% of his attempts, and six interceptions, which is 1.1% of his attempts. And then I have him carrying the ball 54 times for 213 yards, just under four yards or tote with one touchdown. And I have Wentz basically somewhere between my top 15 and top 20 quarterbacks because of the fact that I don't have him finishing the year or playing a complete year. And that means that I have Jalen Hurts in for a couple of games because I believe that he will earn the second opportunity, the, the second role um, on this depth chart. He is a good deep ball thrower. Obviously, he's a good runner. He can run for power as well as make a man, the first man miss. And he has some um, acceleration and some speed to him. He's not a Michael Vick type of or Lamar Jackson type of guy. He's more of a David Garrar guy who's quick and powerful, um, or a Cam Newton quick and powerful type of guy. Um, you know, maybe not to that that end of the spectrum, but along that spectrum. Um, he, the more he has to buy time, the more mistakes he makes. Um, just like a lot of young quarterbacks, where they get too invested into a play and they'll try and take risks as they shouldn't if they can't find that first or second man pretty quickly. Um, but overall, I think he does have developmental potential, and he could show up pretty well in this offense because of the fact that, like at Oklahoma, they ask him to get rid of the ball early. Um, they're going to be aggressive down the field, and he can throw the ball well down the field. And he's a, he's a fairly smart quarterback who just has maturity issues that a lot of young guys have to work out. So I have him at 76 attempts, 47 completions, nearly a 62 percent completion rate in that small sample size 513 yards 6.75 yards per attempt and three touchdowns which is 3.9 percent of his attempts and an interception which is 1.3 eight rushes for 37 yards and a touchdown as you can see i don't see him playing more than two games so defenses aren't going to get a huge beat on him which means that i mm -hmm. think his mobility and his deep arm and aggression and fit with the system will be good enough that by the time defenses catch up with him he'll be back on the bench yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think we're going to end up being pretty close. I kept Carson Wentz at the 16 games for now, but um, I've definitely thought about pulling him down to like, you know, 88%, which is basically taking off two games. Um, as far as Philadelphia as a whole, um, I have him at 1,050 plays, so we're really close there. Uh, we're also close on the percentages just with what Doug Peterson likes to do as well as the secondary issues, which you mentioned, you know, the defensive issues. I've got him at 59% pass and 41% 
um, rushing. So that's 620 pass attempts, 431 rushing attempts. Um, so from a standpoint of Carson Wentz, I've got him at 620 attempts because I haven't divvied any of it up. 64% completion percentage, um, seven yards per attempt, which is 4,337 yards. Uh, 29 touchdowns. That's right at his same uh, touchdown per attempt, a little bit better than what it was last year. I gave him a slight, you know, bump up. So he's been at seven and a half, 5.2, 4.4, and 4.5. I gave him a slight bump up on, on the hope that if Deshaun Jackson can just stay healthy more than one game, you know, even if it's just eight, you know, if they get a little bit out of some of the younger guys that they've brought in um, and the fact that they've added a few deep guys, um, so they're less likely to be stuck hanging, like what I was talking about earlier. I think those things all, you know, potentially help the offense a little bit. So I did give him a slide uptick in touchdowns, and some of that is faith in Doug Peterson too, who I think is a really good coach. So that's 29 touchdown passes. I've got him at nine interceptions. Um, I've got him at 60 attempts rushing for 270 yards and one rushing attempt. So for fantasy players, you know, he's pretty solid numbers all around. His rushing, his rushing yards help him. You know, he'll, he'll usually give you 250 to 300 yards rushing um, if he's healthy. So like last year, 243, uh, two years before that, you know, 299, uh, his rookie year, 150. So the 200 to 250 yards rushing is going to be, um, you know, well within his range. Um, and he could easily score, you know, more than one touchdown. I've just got him at one. Um, so that's if, if you're talking about a normal fantasy scoring setup, that's 315 points, you know, and I've got him just inside the top 12, you know, quarterbacks for me right now. Um, he's right there. I really consider him to be in a tier, you know, sitting there um, like I like, you know, him. I like Stafford. I like Matt Ryan, even Cam Newton. They're all kind of bunched there, you know, together. They're after, you know, you get past, you know, your your two old guys, Breeze and Brady. And then before that, you've got the younger guys that have shown that, you know, they can throw and run. Um, you know, so they're kind of in that fourth tier, you know, of quarterbacks for me. And that's where Carson Wentz sits. Um, so as far as, you know, thinking about, you know, who they're going to throw the ball to, um, I've, you know, where I sit is, like I said, I think, you know, we have a slight upgrade, you know, Matt, and, and what we're what we have from a standpoint of their positions. But at the same time, I still think, you know, there's a lot of questions, you know, because we've got young guys, you've got guys that are new to the scheme. Um, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, as far as how much time they're all going to get together. Um, so, I mean, before I even jump into it, what are some of your thoughts, you know, on that, on, on a team trying to come together in jail? Uh, you've got rookies you're going to be asking to play key roles. You've got free agents. you got a guy that was injured all of last year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a good question. And and one of the first things that comes to mind is actually something that Brian Baldinger mentioned on Twitter today, which is that he said some t later that in July, the Eagles are about to get a whole lot better. And that's all he said very cryptically, which some people are assuming that that means is Antonio Brown going to get signed by the Eagles? Um, you know, is that the possibility there? Which would be an interesting thing in its own respect. But I don't think that's the. I don't think that's where they're going to get a whole lot better. I would have to think that, especially with Baldinger being an O lineman himself, that maybe they're going to get an upgrade along the offensive line. Maybe they're negotiating a deal for an offensive lineman. Now I have no idea who that would be. Um, you know, and I haven't really kept up with who wants to be on the trading block on that level. Um, but if, but if that's the case, to me, it's it's really not so much about whether it's Antonio Brown, it's about whether it's a wide receiver, whether it's an offensive lineman. And so I'm going to say it's probably going to be an offensive lineman. 
And then when you that's look what at, I was thinking. I saw the tweet too, and I was thinking <laughs> offensive lineman. Just maybe that's wrong. Is because it was from Baldy. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, you'd have to think that based on the analysis you gave about the offensive line. Now, when it comes to these receivers, I mean, listen, Deshaun Jackson. Um, I just did an analysis, and I don't have it like completely in my mind of every detail that I that I put out there. In the but in the 2020 rookie scouting portfolio, I did an analysis on on receivers over the past 15 years and who's repeated as, you know, wide receiver ones in 12 team leagues, wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes. And you would be surprised that, you know, the, the number of players who actually um, repeat as wide receiver ones is extremely low. And one of the guys that's really prominent in repeating on that level um, was Julio Jones. Another mm-hmm. was Deshaun Jackson. Um, Deshaun Jackson has had multiple years as a wide receiver one and wide receiver two. Um, he's been around for a long time and that speed doesn't go away. It's still not going away. Um, it's just a matter of him being able to stay healthy. Um, and, you know, and basically, you know, be able to continue learning as a human being. So it's like, when you look at, when you look at those two, when you look at Deshaun Jackson, he's the guy they want to stay healthy. Um, and I think that because of what he can do getting deep, early he has that suddenness about him that it's not just build up speed so he can be open within the first 10 to 15 yards and that allows Carson Wentz to be super accurate at that 25 30 yard range off a three-step drop and that's why he's valuable Marquise Goodwin is the same type of player but not nearly as good as Deshaun Jackson he doesn't have the same range of routes um, that he can run he doesn't he also has trouble staying healthy he's more of a track athlete playing football who's happens to be good at football but he's not he's not the same level as Deshaun Jackson is and then you have a guy like um Hightower who um you know reminded me of Paul Richardson who I really liked out of school but he's actually a little he might even be a little thinner than Paul Richardson and he's far more aware of his um mortality than Paul Richardson is as a as an athlete I've seen um too much of Jim Tim of of Hightower literally like do the pull the Tory Holt drop to the ground literally slide on kick returns like at the end of runs um you know he'll go up there and try and win the ball in tight coverage which is great and he can make those adjustments but I've also seen him at points where he's literally protecting his body in situations that you don't normally see receivers do. It, it was notable. Um, so I'm curious to see whether they've got another Todd Pinkston on their hands, which is a former yeah. Eagle who was very thin, very good route runner, but literally would alligator arm balls because he was so rail thin that he just couldn't handle the prospect of taking punishment in the middle of the field. Now, Pinkston played in an era where, you know, the NFL still put out video packages of receivers getting blown up with hits that would get them concussed. And the NFL no longer markets those types of things and no longer, and and penalizes those types of plays. So we're in a different era, but I still wonder in this era, if Hightower is doing that in the college game where they actually dissuade that as well. um, I'm still a little circumspect about him. So, you know, you have that from the speedster standpoint. They Marquise Goodwin's good enough that if Jackson gets hurt, that he's still a threat, you know, so that's good. Hightower's a bit of an unknown. Rager, Rager to me, yes, he can win deep, um, but he's more of a Brandon Cooks-like 
player where you're not going to ask him to go up and make Steve, Steve Smith like contested catches and win those unless he's just getting hit in the back. And, um, which means good, but he has limited applications. Brandon Cooks has had five teams in the past four years because he's, with the things he does well, he does well at a primary receiver level, but what he doesn't do well isn't enough for what people want from a primary receiver. So he keeps getting shuffled off somewhere else because you can use him in a, only with limited applications. And I think it's the same thing with Jalen Rieger. People are very excited about him, but I don't think he's Steve Smith, even though I know that there are some um, general managers out there who think that, um, you know, about him. He's a good young player, but he's, I don't think he's at that level of dynamic ability. So I think that, though, with that in mind, Rager's going to be able to give you quick hitting plays, screen passes, screen um, swing, swing passes, slants, crossing routes, the occasional deep crosser, the deep post, um, some go routes. But again, it's up to Carson Wentz to be accurate. And the smaller you are as a receiver, the more pinpoint accurate your quarterback needs to be. It's just kind of common sense unless he's Steve Smith and has a wide catch radius. And Sean Jackson somewhat has a wider catch radius. Marquise Goodwin and Jalen Rieger don't. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Alshon Jeffrey do. They're not very fast. Um, you know, so they, they're intermediate range guys and short range guys more than anything. Um, and Arcega-Whiteside didn't really, you know, show enough to see that he's going to take that next step yet. So it's down to, and really the guys in the middle of the field you want really making those types of plays up the seam and in the middle are your tight ends. And they've got two of the best in the business. So that's my thoughts on the receivers. And and when it comes down to, to you know, just projecting them, I have Deshaun Jackson. Let's just kind of take it one at a time and just kind of alternate. Um, I have Deshaun yeah. Jackson at 77 targets, 45 catches, 750 yards, because I'm not really counting on him to play a full season. 16.6 um, yards per catch, four touchdowns, Three attempts, 41 yards in the run game, no touchdowns. Um, I just have him as a productive guy when he's on the field, but I don't think he's going to be on the field the whole time. Yeah, we're really close. I've got him at 14% of the targets. I think if he were to play all 16 games, he would be closer to 18, 19%, you know, of the targets given the current construction, you know, of the roster. I think he'd, he could easily file in behind Zach Ertz, right, as their lead target. I mean, obviously we've got questions, which we'll talk about Alshon Jeffrey in a minute. Um, you know, he's not completely dead. He may be halfway dead, but we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. But so, yeah, I've got Deshaun Jackson at 14%. Um, I've got him at 57.5% catch rate just because, you know, he's targeted a little bit deeper and then some of the things we talked about with Wentz. So that's 50 receptions um, for 750 yards, and I've got him at five touchdowns. So th wow. the thing, if you're a fantasy player, I think that, you know, Deshaun Jackson, it's like you say, you, what you have to think about with him is, you know, what's he going to give me per game? fantasy wise you can't you got to think a little less about what's he going to give you for the whole season because he's not but what he could give you is he could easily give you wide receiver two numbers each week that he does start as long as he's not coming into the game you know questionable you know with some kind of injury you know especially soft tissue that's going to affect his speed but if he's coming into the game clean um he's got an upside to be the number one receiver in the whole league any week just like last year on week one whatever it was you know yeah. 
Um, I had it written down actually. What did he blow up for? Uh, nine for 159 and two touchdowns yeah. <laughs> in week one. Yeah. So he's always going to give you that potential. Um, you know, so I mean, if, if he were to play all season, he's, I think he's got, you know, top 36 upside, you know, top 24 upside. Uh, I'm just with you. I don't, I don't really see, you know, that being the case. And so that means his floor is literally like an unknown. It could be, literally zero he could get hurt in training camp and we never see him again so he's a big question mark but when he's on the field obviously he's still effective and we saw that last year yeah i think he's a guy that if you draft ideally if you could draft him as your fifth wide receiver maybe your sixth wide receiver though it's not going to go that far you're probably gonna have to get him somewhere between fourth and fifth if you can get him as your fourth or fifth wide receiver you're probably doing well as long as he's not a guy you're relying on him to start yeah um then you're okay um, and I think you can get him there in some cases. So it just depends on your league. Alshon Jeffrey, as you brought up, yeah, he's not completely dead. He actually remade his body a couple years ago and seemed to like at least avoid some of the hamstring injuries he had in the past. Um, but he still hasn't been able to stay completely healthy. He can go up and win the ball for you. That's nice because you need that with Carson Wentz, as we've described with his accuracy. You need a guy who can go up and give you that catch radius. Um, and he's probably going to hold off J.J. Arthago Whiteside again because, you know, he's a he's a little bit he's just a better overall technician. I haven't been fifty eight targets though because I don't believe he's going to stay healthy. So fifty eight targets, thirty five catches, four hundred and ten yards, eleven point seven per catch, and three touchdowns. And part of it too is, I think Jalen Rager is probably going to be the second leading wide receiver on this team. Um, so I got Jeffrey uh, just slightly below Rager and right at slightly above Marquise Goodwin. Yeah, I've got Jeffrey at 12% of the targets, so slightly below the 14% I gave to Deshaun Jackson. I've got Rager as the number one, more because these other two guys I just don't see being able to stay healthy. And then I've got unknowns behind all that, right? Unless I think Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Um, so I've got Rager as the second most targeted player behind Ertz. Um, so, but uh, Jeffrey, I've got at 12% um, at 74 catches, uh, 45 or 74 targets, 45 receptions, 535 yards. But I've still got him at four touchdowns um, because he can still be valuable, you know, down inside, you know, uh, yeah. the, the five yard, 10 yard line. If you're going to make an end zone throw, he's one of the better players on the team. He and Ertz um, to make those throws too. Last year, you know, in the games where he was healthy, they were actually trying to get him pretty involved. Um, he accounted for 25% of the targets um, in weeks uh, four through nine. Um, you know, and then in his last game in week 13, when he tried to come back and he uh, got hurt again, but he had 33% in that game. So when he was on the field, they did go to him and they were willing to still look at him. Now, does he come out of this injury even a little bit less of what we used to know of Alshon Jeffrey? I think that's all still to, to be determined, but he's a guy that I'm definitely going to be watching. It's a list front injury. Um, so we'll have to see where he's at. Um, you know, there's been rumors of the Eagles even just wanting to cut him. So, I mean, there's a lot swirling around it. But it, if, if we get to play football this year and if all of a sudden come week one, you, you hear Alshon Jeffrey starting or, or maybe two weeks before the season starts that he's actually in shape. They haven't cut him. He's playing. I'm going to change this. He probably becomes the number two behind Zach Ertz, even though, um, you know, we know that he's not what he once was. Um, but again, he's up against a lot of other guys that have been injured or guys that, you know, are just really young. Right? And so in those cases, I just think you're, if I'm the quarterback and I'm dropping back and I'm thinking where I'm going, we've seen in these kind of situations, if you've got independability elsewhere, 
Um, it can often, if you've got that proven in the past what they can do, that's going to just mean a little bit more for them in those cases. Um, so, so Ertz, I mean, not Ertz, Jeffrey is a guy that we can definitely come back and visit later. But for now, I'm with you. I'm really looking at him, at, at looking at him as being a guy that, you know, I've got him slated right around the seven to nine games right now. And so that's where I have him at. Cool. So where do you have Jalen Rager? I've got him at 17% of the targets. I've got him doing some of the quick hitter stuff that you talked about. So um, his average depth of target, you know, I've got him down in that 11, 10 range, um, working short to intermediate. Uh, I've got him with 105 targets. I've got him with 61 receptions, um, 787 yards. And I've also, and I also have him with five touchdowns. Now, part of this is just the way Peterson, you know, likes to spread. He's a, he likes to spread, you know, the ball around. We'll see the same thing with Frank Reich, right? And the way that he runs his offense, you know, in Indianapolis, no one person typically ever gets like the bulk of any of this stuff, right? The targets are all usually spread out across three or four guys in the 20% range if everybody's healthy. Um, now, obviously you can have talent, you know, dictate that that moves up to 23, 24%, but you never see, you hardly ever see in these offenses, like somebody with like a 30% type mark right now Ertz has done that you know he's been up around that you know a few times but as the Eagles you know try to balance things out you know I see Rieger as being you know the number one for now um, unless the other two guys can stay healthy if they stay healthy I think that moves Jalen Rieger down um, but yeah right now I, so, I also have him with four attempts rushing um, eight yards per carry and I've got him at 35 yards rushing so it's 174 points and a PPR you know set up um, so so I'm so I'm way different than you are on Rager, but it's probably because I'm I'm banking more on Jeffrey and Jackson to stay healthy long enough, and for Godwin to have enough of a a say that this that the Rager hype will be more hype than reality this year. Not that he won't become a good player, but I have Rager at 69 targets, 37 receptions for 350 yards, just under 10 yards per attempt, um, or per per catch and three touchdowns. Whereas with God, Goodwin, I have at 54 targets, 25 receptions, 355 yards for 14.2 yards per catch, being more of the deep threat that you would expect um, on that level. So I, I almost see it as that Rager's going to end up being kind of used as a glorified slot receiver um, with a lot of quickness and after-the-catch um, capabilities. But with but with the fact that he'll probably have some tougher throws and tougher coverage to face than guys like Ertz and Goddard do off of those play action looks um, where, you know, the defenders who you typically cover the tight ends will be a little bit more um, forced to account for the run. Um, and, and so they won't cover as well as what Rager will have to face. So therefore Rager gets wrapped up a little bit earlier than what you might expect for him year one, um, year, year for, from him as a prospect. Um, so that's kind of where I have him. Where do you have Goodwin? Um, I only have Goodwin at 5% right now, right now. And that's just mainly coming in to spell, you know, Deshaun Jackson. Um, you know, everything I'm reading, it, it, it sounds like it would be Rager on the field over Goodwin. But to your point, I mean, if it comes, if, if we get to preseason, you know, we don't have any preseason games, um, you know, depending on how in sync, you know, these players can get, you know, there's a, a definite, you know, way that I could see, you know, things, and this is already tough for rookies anyway, but in this scenario, I could easily see it, see it, you know, leaning towards a guy like Goodwin, um, you know, but for, for now with where I'm at, everything I'm reading, you know, um, from 
after the draft, reading the press conferences, which a lot of times is the most honest you'll find the GMs, right, sure. is right after the draft. And, and what their plans are for Rager and how they plan to integrate him into the offense, I think they're going to try to make it about him. I think it's up to him. If he fails, then I think that's where Goodwin comes in. But I think Rager will definitely be the first one up to bat to have a chance, um, you know, to really be the guy that gets, you know, most of the work if Jackson and, and Jeffrey are not healthy. Well, that's cool. So right now, yeah, for Goodwin, I just basically have him very similar to Jackson, but I've got him at uh, 5%, you know, of the targets. I've got him at 22 catches. I've got him at 320 yards, and then I've got him at one touchdown. Right. Yeah, now. yeah, we're close on that. What's interesting is I've kind of used Goodwin as the guy that I will supplement Rager's production with if I see more signs of that post-press con- post-draft press conference coming true. You know, yeah. so yeah. like if there's more signs of that, that's when that's where my numbers will be fed into Rager's totals will be coming from Marquise Goodwin. Um, but yeah, so tight ends, you know, they're king in this offense. They have been. They want to try and maybe maybe they want to do more with that deep game for sure. But I'm, you know, call me a call me a pessimist, I guess, from this with the Eagles so far. But I have Ertz, you know, leading this team, 143 targets. 94 catches, 986 yards for nearly 10.5 yards per catch, and seven touchdowns. I think he's going to be one of the best tight ends in the league still. I think he's going to be the guy that um, maybe the what Rager and Jackson bring to the offense will actually may not spell out in fantasy points for them as receivers, but it will actually help what happens underneath. And I think that that's kind of what I... I believe will happen is like the the production will come later the concepts will come first <laughs> in, in a sense you know what I mean like it, yep, I do. so so I have Ertz at that in that range and then I have Goddard at 93 targets 62 catches 637 yards for about 10.2 yards per catch and five touchdowns so I have the two tight ends basically earning more touchdowns than the wide receiver core um, out of the four that I think are going to be active in it. Um, and definitely, you know, almost outproducing the four wide receivers, maybe by being just two to 300 yards underneath them in terms of yardage totals. Yeah, I, I think Ertz is the clear number one here. I've, I've got him at 136 targets. And when I say number one, the number one target right in the pecking order of the offense, regardless of position as far as targets go. Um, I've got him at 136 targets, 95 receptions, 954 yards, and six touchdowns. I've got Goddard at 12% of the targets, 74 catches, 52 receptions, 546 yards, and four and a half touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I've got the touchdown spread around a little bit more, but I'm totally with you on Ertz. So, I mean, if I back up and recap it, I've got Ertz at one, Rager at two, right? And then I've got Deshaun Jackson coming in right behind that with Goddard and then Jeffrey right behind that. Um, the thing is, though, like I said, I would move Jeffrey and Ertz up. So, like, if you look at last year, um, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, when you get to look at, you know, some of the cool data, one of the cool things I like looking at is on the targets that these receivers had, how often were they the first or second read, right, in the progression. And Zach Ertz was 91% of the time he was targeted, he was the first or the second read. Alshon Jeffrey was 88%, right? The rest of these guys, now Deshaun Jackson's too small of a sample size to really even look at. Right. Um, but if you look at the rest of the guys like Goddard, you know, he was he was the first read only 
percent on 69 percent of his targets 78 percent he was the first or the second read um you know if you look at uh you know miles sanders he was more of a the check down guy right he was the first read on 39 percent of his targets first or second read 52 percent. so it really was about Ertz and jeffrey and i think it still will be that if jeffrey is healthy this year goddard had to step in and do more last year because basically everybody was gone and i like goddard a lot but the Eagles still want to run enough 11 personnel and 12 personnel. They want to mix those two personnel groupings. Um, and, and Jeffrey, if he's healthy, will be on the field every, you know, he's a guy that stays out there all the time. You know, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey are the two guys that whether they're in 12 or whether they're in 11 personnel, if healthy, I think those are the two guys that are always on the field. Um, and Jalen Rager, to your point, is the guy that works in, in the slot. And then Goddard's the guy that works in in 12. Makes sense. Love it. So, Run game. Here we go. Now the fact that they lost, you know, Peters. Yeah. That's a big blow. Um, a lot of people are projecting Miles Sanders to be like a top 10 back this year. Take that next step. My thought is he's a good back, but you have to keep in mind the state of the offensive line and what he did well. And what he did well was gap plays. That was what he did well. The Eagles adjusted midseason. That's the thing about this team. If you're going to be an Eagles fan, you need to be an Eagles fan because they adjust. They they literally are, they find what their talent does well. They go, that didn't go as according to plan, so let's change our plan. Let's not try and make the player do better. So if you, if you admire that kind of strategic outlook and analysis about your football teams, then the Eagles are your kind of team. Now, in terms of talent, Sanders is an incomplete talent unless he grows into being a good zone back. If he can do that, because most offensive lines are better running zone plays than gap plays in the NFL, it takes a lot of athletic ability to run gap in the NFL, and you have to have a pretty darn good line to do it on a regular basis. You need to have two or three really dominant guys in the run game or one, you know, one or two really dominant guys in the run game to really get it done that way. And the Eagles don't really have that anymore. You know, they have Kelsey's a very good player. You know, certainly Lane Johnson, when he's healthy, is a good player. Um, but, you know, not having Peters can be a little bit of a painful thing. But I'm going to, I've still erred on the side of that Sanders is going to be a good, not great back this year. I mean, he's going to get a thousand yards for you. He's going to get a share of receptions. He's probably going to get double-digit touchdowns. But that extra layer is not going to be there because I think it takes more than a season to learn how to be a zone player and I of, of quality. It took Tevin Coleman about three years to become a good zone runner. It took C.J. Spiller. Well, C.J. Spiller is still, you know. Okay, so, you know, you get my point. <laughs> it takes some time to do that and it's not guaranteed that it happens after year one the guy who is a zone good zone runner is boston scott and i we know he's a pff favorite um you know and he's a guy that you know you know he's definitely been a favorite of mine for a while as well he's very good after contact for his size he's very elusive he's a smart runner he has a low center of gravity can catch the ball he has great first step quickness and change of direction quickness he just doesn't have great long speed that's height and long speed are the two things missing from his game um and his profile but he's a guy who really came on last year so i could see where the difference between 
Miles Sanders having a 1,600-yard season as a rusher, or a, let's say, to put it more accurately, a 14 to 1,500-yard season as a rusher, um, and having close to 2,000 yards from scrimmage, and being a guy who has about 15 total 1,500 yards from scrimmage, um, is going to be the fact that he can't run zone, and he's going to have to prove that he can, and that they have a guy already can do it in Boston Scott. So... I have Sanders at 230 attempts, 1,058 yards at 4.6 yards per attempt, um, and seven touchdowns, um, 3% of his attempts. Um, 70 targets, 55 catches, 540 yards, just under 10 yards per reception, and three touchdowns. He's still a top 12 to top 15 guy at that bottom end of the range there. Um, But I think he's limited because... I think the the Eagles recognize they have a good player in Scott will want to use him in certain packages and feel like they don't need to push Sanders to be something that he's not. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great take actually. I mean, so as far as Miles Sanders, I think, yeah, he's going to be a top 12 fantasy runner this year, um, you know, or back, but it's because he's on, he's going to be on a team that's smart. Like what you said, um, he is going to, he's going to get enough of the volume you know, to make it work. If you look at, you know, PFF's rushing, just rushing grades, right, that they've given out. And I went back and looked at it for like the last 10 years. Oh, you would actually, Matt, you guys agree on a lot of stuff. Nick Chubb had, you know, one of the best rookie seasons ever from a grade out perspective. Um, Miles Sanders had one of the worst ever. Um, He graded out last year at a 56.1. He was 50th out of 50 backs with at least uh, 100 attempts. That was across all the league. But if you look at his history um, versus other rookie seasons, it ranks way down there. Melvin Gordon had a really bad rookie season where he he had some issues. And so there are names on there that turn things around, right? So it's not like it was just this, this death knell. But it's definitely not something, when I looked at that list, there were a lot of names on there that I was like, whoa, that person never made it. They never, they never made it back out. And and to what you said, when you start breaking his splits down uh, and power versus zone and all those things, a lot of those things that you were talking about, you know, I also saw um, in the data. Um, but I think, you know, the truth is even in the end of the season last year, they really did try to let Miles Sanders run with it, right? Once Jordan Howard's shoulder got injured, um, you know, went down, in week nine after that, Sanders averaged 61% of the carries per game. Um, if you include the playoff game in week seven, if you exclude, sorry, the playoff, the week before the playoffs in week 17, where they where he left early with an ankle sprain that was kind of precautionary. So even just throwing that game out, right, assuming they were just protecting Miles Sanders, he averaged 61%. Um, the first three games, he dominated those snaps, though. But like you said, Boston Scott kind of forced that running back by committee. Now, part of that was Sanders getting dinged as well. But Scott got on the field and showed what he could do. And the coaches, basically, Sanders couldn't get him off the field. From there on, Scott Scott averaged 36% of the snaps um, over those last four weeks, um, even when Sanders was healthy. Um, and he pushed Sanders into a, into a timeshare in the passing game. Both of them um, were, were healthy. Now, again, this is with nobody left. They were literally just – they were taping things together to try to make this offense work at the end of last season if people remember how many people they were missing from um, you know the passing game. Um, so Sanders and Scott were targeted at 13 and 14% over those last five games, if you include the playoffs and their, their playoff game. 
Um, Scott was taking about, he was running around on 34% of the time that Wentz dropped back and Sanders out was out there for 50%. So to your point, I think they've seen enough from Scott that I think he's just enough that I think it, it's Sanders really in a, com, in a committee, I would say, but he does have a, a back right behind him. That's going to spell him often, uh, you know, in passing situations, he does have a back end behind him that can, you know, give him a breather every third you know, series or so. Um, and it's just enough, like you said, to keep him, I think that and his efficiency issues where he's still learning, it's enough to keep him from some, like I, you know, some of the fantasy drafts I do with some of the smarter people out, out there where, you know, some of these drafts that cost a decent amount of money, I see a lot of people, I mean, Miles Sanders goes at pick six. I mean, these guys are hyper aggressive and these are smart guys that I, you know, respect, but when I look at everything with Sanders, I, I'm definitely on board that the volume's going to be there, and I got no problem if you want to take him at the end of a first round and a 12 round draft. Sure. You know, with the way runners look, I, I think that's a viable pick. Take Miles Sanders, but man, taking him up at pick six, you know, um, I get it. Some people may be scared about Dalvin Cook's injury. Um, you know, some people may be worried about. You know, uh, you know, you could make the case against Derrick Henry just because you worry that Derrick Henry, if you're in a PPR league, he won't get the receptions, but. Um, because volume is ultimately king, but I'm with you. He's just, he's right there on the cusp of not quite being able to make it, you know, up there where I'm willing to be that kind of aggressive with him because I think he still has some limitations. And so right now I've got him at 269 carries at four and a quarter for 1,144 yards. And I've got him at eight rushing touchdowns. I do have him contributing in the passing game at 10% of the targets. Um, so that's 62 targets. 48 receptions, 380 receiving yards, and I've got him at three receiving touchdowns. So, I mean, I've got him at a healthy number. I've got him at 269. I mean, so he's easily, you know, a top 12 back, but I'm with you. I just, I don't, I've probably got him graded closer to the high end of his range of outcomes right now than like his median is what I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and that happens sometimes, right? When you're just starting the projections. And I mean, I've done my first round, and just looking at this right now, I'm like, you know, I want to bring it back, you know, probably just a smidge. I think the 250 range as far as points in a PPR league is still good. But Boston Scott, like you said, um, you know, is, is going to be a guy that's going to get some work. And I, I still have a little bit of a concern that the Eagles could sign another runner. Yeah. And then there's and if they don't sign another runner, there's another guy on that team by the name of Mike Warren who could sneak his way into goal line duty, red zone duty, because he's a thumper of a back with good receiving skill. And one of the things that we, that the outcome of zone versus gap where that becomes important is the red zone. Teams don't really like, I mean, there are teams that run gap in the red zone, but you better be a dominant team to do that. Cause if you got to wait all that time for that big old boy of a mm-hmm. guard to come around, <laughs> um, Teams are, you know, quick penetrating defenses are going to, you know, basically disrupt that in the backfield. So it's easier to run zone in the red zone. And if you're if your running back isn't a good zone runner, then guess what happens? You find a running back who is and put him in there situationally. Boston Scott got some red zone looks, if I recall. I don't remember if it's significant data wise, but I think he did. And I have Boston Scott right now at 121 attempts. 540 um, yards and six touchdowns because I think he's going to get more red zone looks as a receiver and a runner than you would expect. He's going to get 38 targets, 32 catches, 285 yards and a touchdown through the air. So I have him at 154.5 fantasy points in PPR leagues. Sanders at 274.8. Um, 
So both are good for what their stations are. And I even have Mike Warren at two touchdowns right now. 27 for 98. Um, <laughs> and I'm giving them two touchdowns because I think that at some point they're going to be like, this guy's pretty good and he's a thumper. And we yeah. and Sanders. And is last year that was. Yeah. And last year that was Jordan Howard's role. I mean, through week nine, Jordan Howard already had 10 attempts inside the five. Uh, you know, so that was 40% on the year and he didn't play another game after week nine. Now weeks 14, 15 and 16, um, there were zero inside the five attempts from week, uh, from week 10 through week 13, week 14, 15 and 16 miles Sanders had four Boston Scott had one week 17 miles Sanders got dinged and left the game. Boston Scott had two. So, I mean, if we look at the games where they played together, it was four to one, Miles Sanders to Scott. Sure. But to your point, the Eagles are a smart team, and they've shown us that they'll put this hodgepodge of backs together, and they've done this many, many times where they have each guy that does his certain thing or two well. Yeah. And and they're not afraid to shuffle guys in and out. So, yeah, I I, I think it's a it's a good call on on your part. I, I don't have Mike Warren projected for anything. <laughs> And that's understandable. They might bring in another guy. They, you know, maybe Elijah Holyfield makes a, um, is able to beat him. And again, we're looking at a small amount of touches, most likely if those other two guys stay healthy. So listen, let's move on. We have our second team in this um, podcast series that we're going to look at for the NFC East. And that's the Washington Hoosie what's it's, um, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, whatever they're going to be called. Um, so you know, for the we, I, I'm personally rooting for the hogs or some sort of like sort of some sort of like pig or or, or um, boar or something like that because you know it's close to what the offensive line you know mascots are all about anyway. So might as yeah. well kind of keep it in house. You know, um, I don't want to see a cowboys and Indians kind of theme anyway. I mean, I know the the cowboys are going to hate Washington no matter what anyhow. So you know, you can make it thematic if you want to. But like, you know, I don't know how you're going to do that unless you just want to call them the cacti or, you know, or, or, (laughs) or, you know, rattlesnakes or, you know, or, or or something or the buffalo, you know, something, you know, something. And I I just think an animal injuries, um, animal uh, uh, imagery is probably best. But, you know, here we go. So (laughs) the rundown with this team, you had. Dwayne Haskins, who Jay Moyer did an awesome job at the RSP writing up Dwayne Haskins' analysis last week um, in his True and False series, um, talking about, you know, is is Dwayne Haskins better than you think? And he, he, he justifies a lot of that, not only on the field, but also discusses the context of the fact that Haskins is a guy who who really was playing with the scout team for much of the year um, and, you know, had was a little bit behind because of um, school requirements. So when you put it all together, he didn't have such a bad season, even if you look at the, the, the initial data in certain certain forms of the data. And with what you see on the field, there are some elements of um, optimism there. But you know what? Ron Rivera brings his guy, Kyle Allen, into the mix along from California, uh, from Carolina. And so you have Dwayne Haskins being the lead quarterback entering camp but this is going to be a competition. That's what they said. So as you know, Haskins has reshaped his body. Um, he's certainly working out. There's a lot of hype around that. Um, I'm more about the action. You know, like my like my like one Marshawn of my favorite Lynch. players in the league <laughs> ever been. Exactly. I'm more about the action. So when it comes to 
you know, videos of practices and workouts and stuff like that. I, I look at that as more as like, oh, good, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Now let's see if you can do the things that are actually going to make you a good player. Um, and that comes with the live action. So you've got that as your, your quarterback situation right now. Then you look at those receivers. Listen, you know, Terry McLaurin, that was a guy, that's a miss for me for sure. Like I look at him and I, and I think about his tape and I saw a guy that I felt like could be good, but there was enough in his tape that I didn't feel like I saw enough in terms of what he actually, what he actually did. So I'm, I definitely missed on Terry McLaurin. Um, and I think that I will be surprised if he ends up fading. I think he's going to end up building into a very good, building his career and remaining a very good receiver in this league. Um, so you've got a, a good route runner who can go deep, who can cover every area of the field. And then they have some intriguing guys, basically, in the rest of this. You know, guys who are a, a, a trio of guys who are big, strong, maybe not extremely fast, but can win at the catch catch point and um, can get deep off a of play action. One of them's been around three different teams. Um, Cody Latimer, who you're just looking at, is basically a guy that many of us loved, including myself, who never really got it together. Um, and who apparently, according to Cecil Lamby, Peyton, Peyton uh, Manning never really liked and didn't feel like he did uh, didn't get a get the Peyton Manning stamp of approval. So, um, you know, maybe Latimer, there may have something to do with his work or how he applies himself. I don't know. That's speculation. But then you have Kelvin Harmon, who really actually looked pretty good at times in isolated areas of, of his game. Um, you know, the comebacks, the fades, the, the out routes. He did a pretty good job on the perimeter, I thought, as a receiver. Big, strong, and... You know, um, I'm trying to think of the the cornerback who who um, who's their lead cornerback on Washington, who used to be with Carolina, who had those Josh athletes. Norman. Josh Norman, thank you, Norman. Norman had good things to say about Harmon. Thought that Harmon had the work ethic and desire to be great. Um, obviously, a lot of that is something you hear pretty much from every defender about a young receiver, at least on, you know, one out of every three teams in the NFL. Um, but it's encouraging. And they bring in another guy in Antonio Gandy-Golden, who I love. I think this guy is a, um, you know, he, he learns fast. He's very smart. He's very physical at the catch point. Um, he's someone who can go up and win the ball over people. He What he knows how to do, he does extremely well. And to me, that's important. Like, you don't have to be a five-tool receiver entering the league, but if the two tools you have, you can do well to the point that, like, you go to the senior bowl and you're facing top talent at the college level and you have the same two moves, but you can't, they can't beat you with those two moves. Like, you're winning every time with those two moves and practices. That gets my attention more than a guy who has five moves and does all of them half-assed and every once in a while gets gets off with one of them. Um, you know, so Golden's a guy I think they can work with and and, and if he can get faster, because he went to Liberty. So, you know, smaller programs, as Russ Landy and I have discussed on the RSP, um, you know, Scout Talk podcast, if you go to a small school, your 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 training program is never usually as good as the the top the the big five or the the top division one programs so as a result of that 
you might be a great athlete, but you may not be, you may not test well. You may not ha- be playing to your potential. And I think Gandy Golden might have an opportunity to get um, quicker, stronger, faster than he already even looks, even though he's not extremely fast or, or quick at this stage in terms of timing. Um, so I think he's an interesting find. Trey Quinn's a, a solid slot receiver, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to, you know, emerge. You know, I don't think he's going to become the next Jamison Crowder for this team. Cam Sims was interesting. You know, maybe he gives you something, but then again, maybe he's more like the Greg Ward or like, a, you know, some of the former slot receivers from that used to be quarterbacks who maybe never quite take that next step. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with this receiving core. Dwayne, you can start with anybody in terms of who your thoughts on them and who you'd like to project, you know, to begin with, and we can alternate on them. Yeah. I mean, we probably need to hit Haskins, um, you know, yeah, because, let's do that. So you yeah. said some, yeah, you said some interesting stuff. So, I mean, we do, like you said, we got the new head coach with Ron Rivera. You got Scott Turner, North Turner's son. It's going to be, you know, the play caller. Um, he was in Carolina last year um, with uh, North Turner as well as Rivera. Um, so we've got some new things going on there. You know, Rivera's going to, you know, he likes to try to manage these games. You know, so if you look at his, his, his history, anytime, you know, his margin of victory, you know, is, is within two, you know, he's basically a 50, 50 coach. Um, he doesn't really want to have to throw the ball all the time, you know, unless he's forced to. Now, some of that, you know, is slightly off because you had a running quarterback. So in a normal circumstance, if you took Cam away and you gave him a normal quarterback that couldn't run the way Cam would, you know, you'd probably see a team that was in the 53-47, right? 54-46. And I think that's where he wants to be. The problem is, you know, can they be there? I mean, can they be in a situation where they're just not trailing early and often? And I think that's just going to be tough for this team, um, given the makeup. And I mean, they definitely, they drafted Chase Young, number one overall. Um, you know, they've, they've spent a lot of draft picks, Matt, and over the last several years in the front seven of their defensive, you know, unit. Um, you know, first round picks the last two years to, to have guys to help get after the passer. Um, but the things where I think it gets problematic for them is, you know, great, you can rush the passer all day, but if nobody behind you can cover, um, that's a problem. And so you really, those two things need to be conjoined. They've got to be married. And so I think they're going to have some problems. I think Rivera will help them obviously with the defense and, you know, he'll, he'll try to coach to influence Turner in ways that, you know, they can keep the games manageable, but I still ended up putting them at 58% pass and 42% run in many situations with a team like this, Vegas hasn't projected at five and a half wins. They won three games last year. Um, I would have them at like 60, 61% pass, <laughs> you know, but because it's Rivera and I think he'll still try to put his stamp you know, on this um, like he's done in the past with Carolina. I put it at 58, 42, which is still pretty high. So 580 passing attempts, 420 um, rushing attempts. They've also got major problems on their offensive line. It's just, it's, they've got a few good players, but they have a lot of holes. So on an offensive line, you know, you need some continuity. You need, you need, all of your guys to be decent. You can't just have, you know, <clears throat> you know, two really weak links, which is really what they're faced with right now is, you know, how do, how do they take the, the few guys they have? They have a couple of good linemen, but they don't have, you know, it's not like all of them are good. And so they've got a lot of question marks there. So P 
PFF came out with their preseason offensive line rankings today, um, and they were ranked 29th out of 32 teams, which I had them as a, as graded as a D, you know, before all this, just, you know, just looking at their linemen. But um, they're definitely in the lower end of the league. So I think it's it's going to be problematic. As far as Haskins goes, yeah, I'm definitely interested in hearing, you know, your thoughts here. Um, I agree that, you know, playing with, you know, not as good uh, of receivers could be, can hurt you. Um, and, and I have no doubt about that, you know, from a clean pocket, he graded out as 17 of 35 under pressure. He was 24 of 35. Um, if you look at his big time, you know, throw rate, he was 21 out of 35 turnover worthy plays. He was really good. He was only, he, he ranked fifth best, um, in that. Now, if you start looking at his accuracy, it's, you know, from a standpoint, these numbers look really bad, <laughs> you know, so I, I'm, I'm very interested in your take and how much of this can be receiver um, because some of this has got to lie with Haskins, you know, and his pinpoint accuracy, he was 32 of 35 um, and, and frame getting the ball within the frame of the receiver. He was 35 out of 35 quarterbacks that had enough uh, attempts to qualify inaccurate catches um, by his receivers. So passes that, you know, they were still catchable, but the receiver had to do more of the work than the quarterback. He ranked 35th of 35 and then an uncatchable passes ranked 31st of 35. So literally in every way you could measure him from an accuracy standpoint, it was really, really bad. Um, if you look at behind the line of scrimmage, he was minus 4.6 versus the NFL. Um, zero to nine yards minus 8.4 versus the NFL average, uh, 10 to 19 yards minus nine versus the NFL average. And at 20 yards plus he was minus 5.1 versus the NFL average. So he, he didn't grade out positively, literally anywhere. Now, um, to Jay's, you know, point in the article, um, what is interesting, um, you know, if you look at the NFL average, the average NFL quarterback throws to, a receiver that's considered open. So that's at least um, a step separation or more 52% of the time. He only got to do that 47% of the time last year. Um, so he also threw to receivers in tight coverage above the NFL average 21% versus the NFL average is 19%. So, um, you know, he definitely had some, and I think a lot of that probably comes back to Jay's comments right around the receivers. So I'll kind of stop, you know, right there though, just because when I saw, when I see those, you know, numbers, um, you know, I just couldn't find anything in there that made me think, wow, you know, now I, I was taking into consideration that he had bad receivers, but that's still really, that's still really bad. <laughs> what was his, what was his percentage of throwing under pressure? Like what, what, or, or is there a number that shows how often he was pressured compared to the rest of the league? Yeah. Under pressure. Um, hang on one second. Let me pull it back up. Sure. Um, under pressure Haskins ranked. Uh, now you want percentage of times he was actually under pressure versus the league. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Yeah. I found it. Hang on. We, so he was under pressure, um, 36%, you know, of his snaps. Um, he was sacked on 33% of those, um, his completion percentage and his accuracy and all those things weren't terrible. Um, they were still well, they were well below league averages in those situations. Um, I don't have an exact rank on, on how often he was pressured. That's definitely, it's slightly more than the league average, at least, because I have a heat map on this that I look at. Okay. And so, but it doesn't tell me the exact rank because I'm actually looking at, a, at this, where I pulled some data over into okay. you know, a, a sheet 
So it, he was he was pressured more than the league average, um, but not like at the extreme ends of the league averages um, that you yeah. may see. So I think the argument for Dwayne Haskins in terms of leaving some room for optimism with him is that he, he was pressured more often. His receivers were young. Um, he didn't get a real chance to get a rapport with them or to learn the offense at the level that he needed to. The way that he was practicing and preparing was really about to help the other to help his teammates and learn the other team's stuff as opposed to really getting the rhythm and rapport with his own team. So you're really getting a guy who's basically, you know, he's maybe maybe one step below what a lot of rookies are going to be facing if we have a coronavirus type of situation like we do right now. Um, he just got it a year early maybe. Um, so in terms of like, the kind of dynamics that he might have had to face as a young quarterback in the league. So, you know, listen, we saw Jared Goff year one look horrible, um, mm -hmm. but there were moments where you could watch his game and go, the statistics say he stinks. But when you look at some of the throws he made or some of the, the coverages that he was able to spot and actions he was able to make, he actually wasn't bad. Like he was heading down the right path. Um, where there's other guys that I look at, like Baker Mayfield, who everyone's sucking their thumb over for the first year. And then, like, you watch some of the plays he makes and you go, that's not great process. Um, and then the next year, the stats follow the process. Um, so, you, you know, I and there's more to it than just that. But, that you know, to put it simplistically, I think that there's elements of Dwayne Haskins' game where you see him heading down the right path it's just a bumpy path right now for him so there that's why there's a little bit of reason for optimism but at the same time ron rivera doesn't have a vested interest in dwayne haskins as a draft pick of his so the fact that he brought in kyle allen basically says to you one we have a guy who understands the offense we're going to run so that's important so that helps the quarterback room with the young guy but he also showed he could play a little bit you know that he's like reasonable as a as a fill-in reserve if you need him and then we can draft our guy next year or get a guy in free agency depending on which track they want to go so yeah with that said listen i've got dwayne haskins um i've got this 60 40 pass to run um in this situation right now dwayne haskins at um and i only have 805 plays for this offense um Haskins at 480 attempts, 297 completions for 61.9%. Completion percentage, pretty darn good for this situation. 3,300 yards, 6.88 per attempt, 20 touchdowns at a 4.2%, pretty good. 14 interceptions, 2.9% of his attempts, maybe not so good. Um, you know, 32 attempts, 109 yards, zero touchdowns. You know, he's at the bottom end of the tiers for me for quarterbacks. He's not a guy I'm drafting um, in any way, shape, or form. But I can understand a way to his upside. And what that is is um, them trading for a wide receiver, I guess, um, other than Terry <laughs> McLaurin. Um, maybe Calvin Johnson getting tired of, like, waiting around and deciding that he wants to play again. Maybe Josh Gordon deciding that maybe they decide on Josh Gordon and Calvin Johnson and they get Antonio Brown on top of it, then I could see maybe some upside for Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, 
yeah, when I saw it, it just gave me concerns and, and I, I totally get it. Like, I think golf was a good example, you know, that you brought up, you know, because I actually did do a, I basically sorted all rookies that I had access to and looked at years, you know, like that. Um, but, uh, you know, if you look at next gen stats, you know, it says that, you know, he had 23% of his throws were graded as aggressive, which means there was a defender within one yard. You know, that by far is, that's a really high number, usually like 12 to 15% is what you want to see. And then you'll see a few guys like Jameis Winston will be up in the 18, 19%, 23%. You know, literally he just may have had nowhere to go. I mean, maybe just all of his options were covered up. Um, so to me, it seems like they could do some things with the quick, quicker passing game, you know, get the backs and get some other things more involved, right. Where you don't have to deal with some of the coverage that you deal with, with some of these receivers that are, that are battling that. Um, you know, and then just try to, you're going to have to scheme Terry McLaurin up as much as you can. Um, but I've got Dwayne Haskins at 580 attempts, a 58% completion rate, six and a half yards per attempt, 3,770 yards. I've got a touchdown rate of 3.5%. So that's 20 touchdowns. And I've got him at 15 interceptions, uh, 40 rushing attempts for 200 yards and one rushing touchdown. Um, so again, I mean, it's, you know, the scheme I think that he's in, I'm, I'm optimistic about what, you know, Scott Turner could potentially do for him. It's just, you know, when I look at the weapons on his team overall, even if he improves, like you're saying, you know, it's like he, you know, he needs reinforcements. I mean, this is yeah. just, you know, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of these guys could maybe somebody comes through, but it wouldn't be the typical, if you were to look at, to me, you got to squint like really hard to see, you know, how does he come out with, you know, if we're thinking of the rule of three, how does he come up with three viable targets? Maybe Antonio Gibson, you know, turns into something they can use out of the backfield, um, you know, along with Terry McLaurin, but then, you know, who's the third guy? I mean, maybe Steve Sims or one of these other guys can do something. Um, it just, it, it seems unlikely that they can piece it together without going outside of what they have right now, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start about their best option. That's Terry McLaurin. 110 targets, 69 catches, 1,050 yards for 15.2 per catch, eight touchdowns. I'm getting a rushing attempt for 10 yards. Um, so what about you? Yeah, I mean, Terry McLaurin, I won't be surprised if he gets 30% of the targets, but I've got him at 24% right now. That's 139 targets. I've got him at 80 catches for 1,200 yards and five touchdowns. The five touchdowns is really just the scheme. This team isn't going to score a lot of them. Um, that's 25% of the touchdowns I had the team scoring, you know, passing, um, you know, he could be more, I think if, if, uh, you know, Haskins, you know, if they had more weapons to balance this thing out and Haskins took a step forward, but still that's, that's a really good line, you know, for a second year receiver, 80 catches for 1200 yards and five touchdowns. Um, that's where I've got McLaurin right now. And I've got him by far and away leading the team. Um, you want me to go ahead and do my second? Sure, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I actually do have Stephen Sims as the second um, guy on the team. This this is a team where it's uh, you know you mark certain teams down, um, and if pe people that you know have seen some of my stuff on Twitter, you'll see where I underline all these players, and what that means is I need role clarity. Literally, everyone on the team after Terry McLaurin is underlined. Like I, I don't know who's going to be in what role. So <laughs> right. it's it, this is really honestly like kind of a stab in the dark to some extent. Um, but just based on everything I've read right now, I do think that Sims is going to get the role over Trey Quinn as the slot receiver. And I think they're going to try to move him around and do some things, you know, with him, um, you know, in space. 
Um, so we'll see what happens, but I've got him at 90 targets, 56 catches, 560 yards, three touchdowns. Um, last year down the stretch, he did get a little bit of rapport going with Haskins and that will, you know, Haskins is going to be the guy that's in there. So he had 19% of the targets, um, with Haskins in last year. Um, Kelvin Harmon, I've got a third, um, with 14% of the targets. Um, so I've got him at 81 targets, 47 catches. 560 yards and I also have him at three touchdowns so th those are the three top receivers I've projected I've got a little bit in there for Antonio uh, Gandy Golden and I've got a little bit in there for Trey Quinn but not a, enough worth you know talking about yeah so I'm kind of I'm with you I mean I have I have Quinn as the second leading receiver though um, just mm -hmm. and I have him at 63 30 63 targets 35 catches 270 yards which is a very low yards per catch average at about just under eight yards per catch and one touchdown. Then I have Kelvin Harmon at 54 targets, 37 catches, 460 yards at 12.4 and two touchdowns. Um, Sims, 32 targets, 16 for 240 and a touchdown. And then Gandy Golden, I've given 29 targets, 17 catches, 204 yards for 12 per catch and two touchdowns. And so it's, you know, again, it's not a lot, you know, it's really worth one second receiver, you, you know, if you were to add <laughs> yeah. it all up, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you or a good primary. And, and to me, Terry McLaurin's like a, a good secondary receiver who's playing the primary role. Um, when you look at the tight ends, I mean, again, Jeremy Sprinkle, very good blocker, good play action receiver but he's not that kind of threat that you're looking at to be an every down guy. He might, he can squeeze his way in there, but he's, he's a guy that you're always going to be having him look over his shoulder when they bring a new guy in camp. Well, Logan Thomas has the athletic ability of a, of a top NFL athlete, former quarterback, and they may, they're excited about him. They think he could be something, but it's Washington. And I, I have a tough time with them they, you know, certain teams are excited about players and I'm like, yeah, I'm all about that action. Cause I'm waiting for your words have been empty for a long time. And I feel like that this is one of those teams where you kind of have to say, take it a grain, take it with a grain of salt. So Logan Thomas played with the bills, played a little bit with the dolphins, I believe, or maybe it was the Cardinals. Maybe it was both. Um, he's, he's a guy that I have at, both of him and Sprinkle over 40 targets. So I have Sprinkle at 43, Logan Thomas at 40. I have Sprinkle getting 28 catches, Thomas at 45, 265 yards for Sprinkle and a touchdown, 245 and a score for Logan Thomas. Add those up and you have yourself a top 12 tight end, um, but not not individually. And then there's Richard Rodgers, who's, you know, thought was interesting at Cal, but never really did more than have a decent year against green with green Bay early on in his career and nothing more. And Thad Moss, who I really like, um, but I don't see him like beating out sprinkle. And if Thomas has developed the route that he has Thomas Moss to me is a blocker. He's like their fullback right now, more than anything, kind of more of an H back who can go out and win. But Th Moss is a guy that down the line, I'll be interested to see how high his ceiling could be but I'm not counting on it right now. How about you? Man, it's not even worth talking, honestly, about the Titans. <laughs> I've got Sprinkle at 8%. I've got Logan Thomas at 4%. I have Thaddeus Moss on my sheet. Just really, you know, I've got him 
slotted in but with no targets yet just kind of like question mark hey let's see what happens in the preseason with this guy because the one thing i'll say is if any one of these guys were to step up their game the opportunity's there right it's, yeah. it's like it's wide open it's like their weight they hope one of these guys will just take off with it so you know i, I don't have much going to the tight ends i've got 28 catches for sprinkle 278 yards and two touchdowns i've got logan thomas with 173 yards and a touchdown on 13 catches um, so not, not a lot to write home about. I think, you know, what will be interesting to me, like if I'm thinking about this offense, the best talent you have on the team is Terry McLaurin and Darius guys, if he can be healthy. So how do you figure out how to get those two guys, you know, involved as much as possible? So I'll be very interested to see what's going to happen with Antonio Gibson. You know, you've got a coach coming over and Scott Turner that knows, you know, a lot about a receiving back, right? About getting a back involved out of the backfield after how often they've targeted McCaffrey over the last several years. I'm not saying Gibson is McCaffrey. That's not what I'm saying at all, but he, he can be a decent receiver right out of the backfield. Sure. Um, so that that's, that's what I'm wondering is, does it end up being, you know, a McLaurin guys on the ground and some receiving and they find a way to get Gibson into space Um you know, and into mismatches against linebackers or just against his own coverage where he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a tight, you know, coverage set up, you know, he can catch the ball and then make some things happen. Um, so right now I have aggressively got Antonio Gibson at 12% of the targets for 70 targets. Um, and I've got him at 49 catches, 390 yards receiving and uh, two touchdowns. Darius Geis, I've got at 7% of the targets for 41 targets, 28 receptions. 213 yards and one touchdown. And then I've got Adrian Peterson, um, you know, not the best receiver ever, but, you know, probably better than what some people have, have said about him. I've got him at 12 receptions for 85 yards. So I've got the three backs coming together, you know, to try to bring something, you know, to the, to the passing game. You know, I've got uh, between all of that, I've got, you know, almost 700 yards going to the backs. That's interesting. You know, um, I like Antonio Gibson. I think that he's, I keep going back and forth on what he'd be better off being as in terms of a position, whether it's well, it seems like they need him to be a receiver. <laughs> yeah. That's my point. They, they really need him to be one. Um, he's more of a gap runner than he is a zone guy from what we've seen at Memphis, but it's, it's less of a known about his zone running. Mm -hmm. Like he could wind up being a very good zone runner. It just happened to be that he was in a gap scheme. I think he could be a, it would take him longer to become a good receiver, I think, but he could be one, but they need him to be one right now. So I, I get, I don't think he's a better receiver than Antonio Gandy Golden. That's for sure. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of like, like the idea of Gibson playing more out of the slot and maybe he becomes that slot guy, but it takes a lot of diagnosis and skill to be a good slot receiver. So that's an issue too. So you look at this situation. I, I, there's a fourth guy on this running back list that I think we need to talk about when it comes to out of the backfield. And that's J.D. McKissick. Um, I know that, you know, he's not a huge name, but he's a he was a pretty good receiver for Seattle. He showed that skill as a scat back to be able to come out of the backfield. I actually have him second in targets um, on this, on this um, running back roster um, right now. I have him at 20. For 15 catches, 110 yards, no touchdowns. Um, because I'm just not sure about Gibson. Like, I love your thoughts on Gibson, but I don't have him anywhere near that right now just because I'm being cautious. And I don't know what the where I where to look at that. So I have him only at 
18 targets, 10 catches, and 96 yards and one touchdown. Just because I'm I'm just not sure where where he's figured out into this. Guys, yeah, 32 targets, 22 catches, 232 yards and a touchdown. And Peterson, 12 targets, eight catches, 58 yards and a touch. So I'm more I'm bigger on the tight ends actually having a role than I am on Antonio Gibson this year. I see Antonio Gibson being used as a gadget um, more than uh, a small end Christian McCaffrey. But I see your point. And I think that if I'm going to be adjusting this summer anything about Washington and the who's he, what's it's, it will be Antonio <laughs> Gibson and adding more to him as things become clearer. But yeah. when it comes to running the football, listen, um, Doug, you know, Doug Williams, who's one of their, their main guys, former Washington quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback. He's talked about Darius Geis this year. <laughs> and he said he's kind of a knucklehead. I mean, he didn't say the exact word knucklehead. I'm using knucklehead, but he's a likable knucklehead who you have to keep a close eye on. He said he's hard headed and he's a likable, but hard headed guy. Which tells me right now that Washington's like, we don't, he's a wild card that we don't know whether we can rely on him to be a professional, maybe on or off the practice field. That scares me a little bit because he's very talented. But, you know, maybe the reason he dropped, there was maybe a little, maybe there's a little fire behind that smoke, you know, that he dropped in the draft. When you have a guy like Doug Williams going, he's a likable, hard headed guy. Um, and that tells me, and they, I think he even used imagery about keeping him on a tight leash or the kid that you'd put a leash on when you walk around in a, in a park or something, which is like, I, I think that's what like, I like saw. A, like a harness. Yeah. Like the harness. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, that scares me a little bit when I think about Darius guys, but I still have him leading the team with 134 attempts and 700 yards, five touchdowns as a rusher. And only because of opportunities, because of this team maybe not being able to run as much as it would like. But he's got 1,500-yard potential. He's that good of a yeah. back. Um, you know, he could be a 1,500-yard, 10-touchdown guy if everything came together well. But I just don't see that happening. Adrian Peterson. I'm just going to say this. I love Todd Gurley as a player. And when he's completely healthy, I'm not sure if he's on his last leg or not. Seems like he probably is. Um, and maybe he has a good season. But just for the sake of like, as my selfish analysis desires, I would have loved to seen Atlanta sign, get Adrian Peterson for a song and trade for him or sign for him and say, you know what, Adrian, we know you need some bills. We're going to give you an insane, pay some bills. We know that you are in debt up to your eyeballs. We know you want to try and play till you're 45 we're going to let you prove that you can still play on a high level with a massive amount of carries. We're going to make you the lead back. I'm going to, we're going to give you incentives to hit like with escalators that you're going to be able to hit, you know? And if you have the season that you're capable of, you're going to get paid. And I would love to see a team like Atlanta with a decent offensive line. Let just pound that dude, because I honestly think, he is made from a different material. And I think that he, even though he's no longer the Adrian Peters, Peterson who could like turn a, a, you know, 
basically turn a 15-yard run that Jordan Howard would earn into an 85-yard run. I think he turns, I still think he's better than Jordan Howard, even at this age. And I like Jordan Howard as a back. He's a doubles hitter who can hit doubles pretty much whenever you want. And he can do it with like, in amazingly bad situations. So to me, Adrian Peterson still has 100 carries, 445 yards and four touchdowns out of this just because I don't trust Darius Geis to be the type of guy that he's capable of being. Um, And I just think Atlanta, it would have been fun to see him get 300 touches, 1,200 to 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns um, at age 30-something and just get people all sorts of ticked off, um, you know, in the fantasy community about how washed he is and and watch him just like – basically injure opposing defenders because he's basically a 57 Chevy um, basically having head-on collisions with like Miatas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love the analogy. Um, Yeah, man, like this thing with guys, it's like, I'm with you. I want more, but I just, I I just don't trust it. You know, yet I'm with you. It's like, I love the talent. Um, but I've got him at 40. I do have him leading the team with 40% of the carries at 168 attempts, 670 yards, four rushing touchdowns. But I don't have Peterson too far behind him. I've got Peterson at 126 carries, 504 <laughs> yards, and three touchdowns. And then I've got Antonio uh, Gibson with 80 carries for 330 yards and two rushing touchdowns. So I just basically have it spread out right across these three guys, which everything I'm reading is that's that's really their – that's the plan. They want to go with that trio. Um, I don't, I don't think McKissick, you know, is going to make the team, but we'll see. He is a really good receiver to your point. Um, But we, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know what's going to, what's up with Bryce love. What's up. You know, they've got, they added Peyton Barber. I mean, they can't keep all these backs. So um, it's like you said a minute ago, you know, just talking about, you know, you liked the idea around Gibson, but you didn't trust it yet. I kind of go back to what I mentioned earlier. It's, it's truly one of the teams when I did it, I was like, most teams, I feel pretty good when I'm done with it, at least about my first take with the Redskins. When It's one of those teams when I was done, I was like, this could be 50% accurate. It could be 20. It could be zero. It could be 80. I don't really know. I don't have a good feel for it. There's so many unknowns here. The The one thing I feel good about is Terry McLaurin. I feel like, you know, he's going to lead the team in targets and yards and touchdowns. Um, but after that, I really don't know. I don't know. It's like you said, guys has the ability to be like a, a guy that could take 60% of the load here, you know, um, now it's still not going to be a great offense, but it's like you said, he could easily get up over, you know, even in this bad offense, he could, he could top, you know, yeah. 1100, 1200 yards, get, you know, six, seven touchdowns. Um, but he's just got to prove from a health standpoint. And then now it also sounds like from a standpoint of just, you know, the team and the coaches trusting him, um, but man, they could use it because they need a spark. They need something. You know, McLaurin's given him what he can, but outside of that, it's like, what else, you know, do the Redskins really have? You know, and I like, I, I love Adrian Peterson. You know, Adrian Peterson was doing his You live thing in like, Texas. I knew that you were going to have at least a decent idea of Adrian Peterson. You can't be in the state of Texas. And oh, like yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was, he's from Palestine, Texas, which is about an hour from here. He was a legend in high school, and when he committed to OU instead of Texas, that was a huge, huge deal um, here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Peterson is a guy I remember. This is back before 
there were so many cool fantasy publications with so much great data and, and all this, everybody's, you know, the margins around, you know, fantasy are so thin. There's, there's so much good information out there nowadays, but back then I remember like Peterson, you know, it was normal back. you remember Matt, when you're drafting back, you know, 15, you know, well, 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, rookie running backs, just because people, they were a rookie, they'd let them slide in the third, fourth, fifth round. I mean, that's, I would kill people with that all the time. And I remember him, with Peterson, man, I did not wait around. I just took him in the second. I wasn't waiting. I knew I could probably get him in the third. And I remember everybody looking at me and going, man, that's early. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I'm making sure I'm getting, you know, the guy, this is back when I just played in one league and man, he just, I remember it was still supposed to be, uh, who was the back that was there? Uh, that was in front of him. It wasn't oh, a bad Chester back. Taylor. Yeah, Chester Who Taylor. had 1,300 yards the year before. And, yes, and I remember everybody being like, man, Chester Taylor's there. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't. I was dude, like, it doesn't matter with this guy, <laughs> dude. I, I was with fftoday.com, and it was I think my second year writing for them, and we had a a meeting with the, kind of a like a summit meeting, a a business meeting in Kansas City, where where the the owner of FF Today lives, and I brought my DVD of Adrian Peterson against Oregon with Nagata as as the defensive tackle. And that oh, yeah. game, and I literally made them watch that game with me. Like I literally made them watch that guy game with me, and was like, "This is the next great running back in football. Like you have to, you have to know that you. We have to watch this guy. Like just, just even some of the highlights. You just need to watch this play, this play, and this play because he's going to be the next great back in football." And I remember they were just humoring. They were kind of humoring me. Um, and they were nice about it, but it, yeah, it was, it was fun. That was a fun time. So yeah, he's amazing. he was amazing and he still is yeah. amazing considering the fact that he's still playing. Um, even that was a great, I, I just love thinking back to those back of Tomlinson and Peterson Yes, and Edger and James, man, oh. like that just, Oh, I love, don't I get me started. <laughs> don't get me started on Edger and James. If if yeah. if I have a if if I were a beat writer and a part of the Pro Football Hall of Fame like Writers Association or whatever it is, I would probably be constructing the I probably would have been constructing the um the the case to get Edger and James into the Hall of Fame. I would have been one of the ones to definitely been heading that up. Um but anyway, listen, um we're very privileged to be able to have Dwayne on the show. Um, he does fantastic work. You can find him at Dwayne McFarlane. You can find him at Pro Football Focus, where he's doing fantasy work, and as well as doing the analytic work that you you know combined with that 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 you know and love. Um, and of course, you can find me at mattwaldmanrsp.com. And I highly recommend if you enjoyed the show, um, and you and, and you know and you saw Dwayne mentions you heard Dwayne mention some of the things about you, you know things that the data has married up with some of my film insights. You can find those film insights at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio publication that's available for $21.95, and it gives you a wealth of information based on film study with a very clear, um, detailed process that I've been building and continuing to develop over a 16-year period. Um, and you get that along with a, um, a post-draft guide and a monthly newsletter and if you're wondering about the monthly newsletter um, because I had one come out in June it comes out June through December um, and it gives you um, rankings three times a year as well as 
thoughts on players who are going to be drafted in the future. Um, for those of you who are subscribers, I haven't put out the July newsletter yet. We'll probably be another 10 to 14 days before I do. We're in a dead period with the NFL, so I kind of want to put some things together and take my time with it. Um, so if you're wondering about the newsletter, because the June one came out in the first week of June, um, it's going to come out later in July for the July newsletter. Um, so thanks again for listening. And again, Mount Waldman, RSP.com. You can find out more from there. You guys have a good week. All right.